watchers in the fourth dimension. I'm in charge! I'm in charge here! Rig D. Control calling Rig D. Come in, please. Everything depends upon you, screaming! Hello and welcome to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And we're going to take a closer look at this weed. Now bring the bag down right here, right onto the floor. <laughs> and this episode, we are off to 1970s England, where the BBC are determined to continue getting good use out of their phone machine, while also employing more Lovecraftian imagery than you can shake a tentacle at. That's right, it's Fury from the Deep. The genesis of this story actually goes all the way back to 1964, when writer Victor Pemberton submitted a story proposal called The Slide to the Doctor Who production office. The Slide revolved around a form of sentient mud that took over a group of villages in rural England. The then script editor David Whittaker actually rejected the script. Pemberton submitted a version without the Doctor Who elements to BBC Radio, where a radio producer by the name of Peter Bryant commissioned the script, and it was broadcast during February and March 1966. So we fast forward slightly over a year later, and Peter Bryant had actually become the story editor of Doctor Who, and Pemberton was his assistant. After three months in the role, Pemberton decided that he wanted to start writing again, and uh, it was proposed that he would submit a new Doctor Who storyline which would resurrect elements of the slide. As a result, a story by the title of The Colony of Devils was commissioned on October the 5th, 1967. Pemberton, who was enamoured with finding frightening elements in everyday things, modified his original storyline to take advantage of the nation's emerging interest in North Sea gas, which had been discovered a few years earlier, resulting in a sentient seaweed creature that thrived on gas, resulting in a change of location from a British village to the various oil rigs. The Colony of Devils was originally slated to be the season's fifth serial, but was pushed back when new story editor Derek Sherwin, who had taken over when Peter Bryant was promoted to producer, felt that major changes needed to be made to the script, and the Web of Fear was brought forward to replace it. These changes included changing the resolution from having Jamie's bagpipes killing the weed creature to having Victoria's screams do the job and also writing Victoria out. The rewrites were actually so drastic that Pemberton briefly considered having his name removed from the script entirely, but he relented when he was able to contribute some of his own ideas to Sherwin's changes. And of note for Julie, given the numerous mentions of it, as scripted, the Doctor was originally going to use a regular screwdriver when he inspected the pipeline on the beach, but production assistant Michael Bryant suggested the introduction of a special screwdriver that operated using sound waves, and thus a legendary prop was born. Yay! As director for this story, we have the return of Hugh David, who had previously directed The Highlanders, and it was during filming that it was decided to rename the story to Fury from the Deep, apparently to avoid any satanic connotations. Elsewhere behind the scenes, we have Dudley Simpson once again providing incidental music, Peter Kindred returns as director having previously worked on The Tenth Planet, and Martin Bohr continues his run on the show as costumer. With that, we move on to our short summary, which I have the privilege of handling this episode. In a story where the final episode happened to be broadcast on 420, Veteran production team member Victor Pemberton gives us a tale of weed gaining a mysterious hold over people, making them a lot calmer in the process. However, the weed also has world domination in mind. No, it's not reefer madness. 
At the end of the day, Victoria decides to settle down with a lovely couple, doubtlessly having become tired of being turned into an even more irritating version of Susan. After all, it's her screams that save the day. I'm sure that she'll have no issue reconciling her Victorian values with 1970s England. And with that, we move into our story discussion. Before we get started, quick poll, since this one is missing. Did anyone do the recon? No, just the black and white animation. I did the black and white animation and about three episodes of the recon. Ooh, overachiever. I did the animation and probably about one and a half episodes of the recon because I was searching for specific things. Got it. And I did the black and white animation along with the five minutes of clips that actually exist from this story just to get an idea of how it all looked. We start this one with a rather unconventional TARDIS landing. Yeah, when did that start happening? <laughs> this episode? This, yeah, this story. I mean, I, I was just left sitting thinking, but why? It's never actually explained. Because they didn't want to land on a cliff because it would have looked too much like a previous episode. Yeah, good point. And then we got some fun with rubber dinghies as a result, depending on your definition of fun. And the doctor in another hat. Yes. He didn't say it, though. No, he did not say the words. I did find out that the reason he's wearing that hat is because it was just that cold and Troughton didn't want to take it off at that point. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, that makes sense for England. It is a great character moment, though, when they're playing in the foam. Yeah. Improvised. Was it? Not in the script. That was improvised. They threw Victoria into the foam as a gag. <laughs> <laughs> and it was caught on camera. Yes. <laughs> Outstanding. And I know I mentioned the English weather. I also really love Jamie being a bit rude about the English weather. Um, not only when Victoria asks why it's always Earth, Jamie pipes in and asks why it's always England. His Scottishness <laughs> is pretty intense here, <laughs> which I have no issue with. People of Scotland, it's just something I found rather amusing. Well, it's also the show kind of poking fun at itself, right? Absolutely. Can we talk about the seafoam frolic music? I call it the seafoam <laughs> frolic theme. It was interesting, to say the least. It felt like a bad trip in the 60s while at a circus. That's how I felt about the music most of the time during this entire serial. It's kind of like how I felt with the Macrotera. I have a love-hate relationship with the music because sometimes I'm like, oh man, the music is great. And then sometimes I'm like, what are we doing? And how much weed did we smoke? <laughs> Well, Victor Pemberton brought a lot of it. <laughs> it's interesting because at times I felt the music really nailed it. And then you have things like the seafoam music <laughs> that are just bizarre choices. Yeah. All right, Julie, I know you're itching to talk about it. I was so excited and yet really sad that I can't actually see the beginning of the sonic screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> It's not even something I can actually watch. I have to watch an animation of it, but I'm excited. Yes. From what I've heard, even if it existed, you wouldn't have exactly got to see what they mean because they originally used a little pen light as a prop and Troughton dropped it. So they used a whistle or something that was attached. As near as they can tell, that's what they used in place of it. So <laughs> the beginnings are rather inauspicious. Yeah. Was the name always determined to be Sonic Screwdriver, or did they play around with the space screwdriver? You know, the adding space as a descriptor in front of everything. I see what you're getting at there, but this is the season where sound is on vogue. I mean, we, we yeah. had sound weapons in the Ice Warriors. We've got sound 
saving the day in this one. So I, I think it was always meant to be Sonic. It's the sound and foam season. It is. So- sound, foam, and bases under siege. For better or for worse. Also, the doctor just carries a stethoscope around. I mean, why not? <laughs> I didn't think he was a real doctor. Is it almost too on point? Yes. <laughs> we can't have a, a sonic or space stethoscope. <laughs> <laughs> just wait until we get to the fourth doctor. He carries all kinds of random crap around in his pockets. It's great. We have one of my least favorite tropes emerging pretty early on. The suspicion of sabotage and immediate locking up. Yeah. Uh, Big surprise. All right. I'm, I'm going to say something here that's probably going to be controversial and Ooh. It, it's going to be getting a lot of hate mail. But by God, I didn't like something in a, in a show that aired 50 something years ago and I'm going to complain <laughs> about it on the Internet now. Yes. I was totally with this up until Robeson showed up. And then I hated the first three episodes of this serial because of him. Robson just needed some weed, man. There is no reason for this whole thing to be this long except for, hey, we want to check this thing out. I know what I'm doing. I don't want to check anything out. Blah, blah, blah. And then you have this argument back and forth for an hour. (laughs) Interspurts with some really cool things that I'm sure we'll talk about. But oh my God. God, Robson is like the Mike Myers character of I've lost control of my voice. He <laughs> shouts and screams every single line to a point where he's almost like a skit comedy character. I mean, I know it's a way into the future, but in episode three, where he has, I don't know if you guys know this specific reading, and I can't do this or I'll blow out my vocal cords, but when he goes, I know what you want. I know what you all want. You're going to get at me. Just won't give up. I'm not going to give you that pleasure. Why did you join them? Go on, join them. I mean, just like shout, 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 shout. It was ridiculous. Because he starts out over the top and completely untrustable. And yet your characters will say, oh, well, I've worked with them here, blah, blah, blah. But you're told, you're not shown that he's actually a good person. And if he had just toned it down, this whole thing could have been resolved in like two episodes. It was so frustrating. And I had this weird thing happen where for some reason... The first time I saw him, I was like, you know who would play him in a modern retelling of this? Rupert Graves. For no reason whatsoever. (laughs) And I just could not get past that. (laughs) And so I'm just imagining Rupert Graves in this role from now on. I can see it. I I see it. It was just a weird thing for for my mind to do that. It was just like, boom, I've recasted you. Congratulations. I think he's clearly meant to be a character who has taken on too much and is kind of on the brink of a breakdown yes but it's just not done that well if you had had an an episode or two with him kind of more mellow and then that build up it would make more sense yeah but he just starts out way it just it bothered me because it i kept thinking we could have actually had something happen but they have a character here whose entire job is to stop the plot from moving forward. And <laughs> there are so many arguments between characters back and forth. Oh, should we look at this? No, we shouldn't. Oh, we should. Blah, blah, blah. And then people wonder if they should go behind his back. 
I found it very, very frustrating. And it didn't help that I feel like they got the B team for the animation here. <laughs> Everyone's arms are too long. Nothing ah, is as yes. detailed as things like the Macroterra were. But one of the reasons I watched some of the recons was I was trying to figure out what was going on with Harris's face and why he had that weird shadow under his nose. Turns out that was their version of a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. This was the first animation by Big Finish Creative, I think they're called. So that's an offshoot of unsurprisingly big finish who do the audios so hopefully the next one they do which will be an animation of episode three of the web of fear will be a little bit better it felt like a, a major step back in quality it really did because they didn't attempt at all with the tartan which they they did attempt the tartan in the macro terror and they did a pretty decent job mm -hmm. but then they were like no this is mostly black every once in a while you could see hint of very large lines on the kilt and that was it they also didn't do much with staging or composition I admit, I, I didn't like this story as much as I wanted to, partially because of the Robeson issue, but also just because of the way they would frame shots, It they've sucked all the tension right out of it. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. On the plus side, they I thought that some of their landscape shots were good looking, and they were all right, I thought. Yeah. And, I don't know, did everyone catch the Easter egg that they tucked in there? You mean the, the poster of the master? Yes, yes. <laughs> he was first noticed on the bulletin board at the guardhouse at the gate in episode one, and then on the wanted poster. Well, I don't know why there would be a wanted poster in a gas manufacturing plant, but anyway, <laughs> that was a nice little treat. I also saw there was something on the speakers. I'll have to find it. Oh, International Electromatics? No, it said, the speaker said, be like us. Yes, it said um, IE, which is International Electromatics, which will be, will come back to in the invasion next season. And then again, in the first Cybermen story in season series two with David Tennant. Oh, that's something I don't remember at all. <laughs> so nice little throwback there. But yes, you're right, Julie. So to go into something that I don't want to complain about that I really liked when, you know, our characters have been locked up as they are want to do and they're doing their escape and they've pushed Jamie up and Victoria's like, no, no, it's okay. I got this. And then she manages to pick the lock. So they've put Jamie up there and not for nothing. I thought that was a nice little character moment. With him flashing everybody yes. because he's <laughs> that's obviously what's happening. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I thought that was really well done. Elsewhere, we have Harris saying he's got a file of things that he knows that something's going wrong, that proves he knows that something's going wrong, and it's gone, and his his excuse is fundamentally, the dog ate my homework. Yeah. I, I swear it was here earlier. When really someone planted some weed in his homework. <laughs> <laughs> this joke's never going to get old. <laughs> and then apparently took it back to his house. Bit convoluted. Yeah, that, that seemed like an odd plan. But okay. <laughs> we get introduced to Ben Luchins. How do we pronounce that name? Ben Luchins, yes. Uh, and he has a Frankenstein head. And Frankenstein costume, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that entire time the character was on screen in the animation, I'm like, why is he Frankenstein's monster? What is happening here? <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't help that he has the long arms, too. <laughs> <laughs> but so did everyone else. All right, sorry, I just had to point that out. The first two episodes are Robson and Frankenstein arguing. Yes. <laughs> this is what we've covered. 
Excuse me. It's Frankenstein's monster. Uh, My apologies. (laughs) But we do get this awesome moment between Victoria and Jamie, and they're making fun of each other, and Victoria sticks her tongue out at Jamie, and it's adorable. It backs up our discussion about how we believe their dynamic is a sibling relationship. Yes, you're right. Not necessarily romantic. So as we spent an inordinate amount of time on episode one, (laughs) we come to the end with Victoria wandering into a gas-filled room. Typical. Getting locked inside. Typical. And then foam and seaweed coming into the room. Also typical this season. What a mess. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Cliffhanger. And surprisingly, Jamie really easily opens up that door. Yeah. So I I have a question for you guys. Do you think that the foam machine was paid overtime? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the BBC paid anyone overtime. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing about the foam machine is I feel like for the first 10 minutes, it was probably fun. And then the rest of the time was awful. Yeah, probably. Obviously, one of the producers had a cousin or a brother that owned a foam machine and was laundering money to him. <laughs> what? Another cereal about it with foam? What is this? Go- what is going on here? No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Or it's our recurring theme for this season. It's fine. Yep. And speaking of the other recurring theme, I mean, we just touched on a little bit, but Robson refusing to let Harris see his sick wife. Oh. Horrible boss. Horrible boss. Oh, Once man. again, a horrible boss. <laughs> We've all had that grumpy for no good reason, boss. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I know, I think it's something we also touched upon about like them not trusting the TARDIS crew, but I actually get it this go around. Yeah. I mean, they, they've rocked up on what's effectively a restricted area and were caught fiddling with the pipe. Yes. Good job, guys. <laughs> I get it. I just feel like it's been overdone and it, it's become a trope when it's actually done for a reason that makes sense. It just seems like, oh, really? This again? Yeah. Yeah. But we do get this really nice scene. I liked it better in the recon because it existed with Mr. Quill and Mr. Oak. Oh. The the creepy repairman. And this is one of those instances where I feel the animation team really dropped the ball. Yeah, that scene is iconic. I do and I don't because I think actually... From an animation perspective, I think they're the only characters that were remotely correct. Yeah, but in the in the actual episode, I think Quill is the tall guy. Mm-hmm. He just looks really creepy. And the scene where he, he opens his mouth and all that, it's super weird. And in the yeah. animation, most of the time, Quill just looks dumb. He looks like a beaver or a cartoon (laughs) show. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't sell it. And in these things where they're using the animation as this is going to be the canonical representation of these missing episodes, I just, I think they really dropped the ball, especially with that. Oak was, I think, the best. Yeah. Oak was by far really actually well done. Well, you got both of you have sold me. I didn't watch the reconstruction. I didn't know that they were, were actual live action clips of Oak and Quill. I enjoyed them in the animation, so I have something to look forward to then. Well, if you uh, if you do your homework and look at the uh, the link I sent you yesterday, that has all the existing clips, including this one, without having to fish through the recon for it. Well, thank you. Or my follow-up to the homework, which is, I like trucking from <laughs> Not the 9 O'Clock News, which is apropos of nothing, but it came up on my YouTube and made me laugh really hard. Oh, dear. Nice. That scene is wonderful. It's so creepy. And one thing I found when I was doing some research, I found an interview with Martin Bohr, and he had 
the actors who played Oak and Quill chew some like carbon tablets. Was that the black stuff around yeah. Oak's mouth? I was wondering why he, he had like eyeliner around his lips. I was very Yeah, it's because he, he wanted, so Martin Bohr wanted them to have like blackened teeth and look really creepy. Okay. So he had them do that, which I, I love that scene so much. And it's it's that that really gives you an eye into the potential of this story. I do have a quick question about how the seaweed stuff works, though. Does it excrete this foam or hmm. does it like bring it along with it wherever it goes? Like, how does how does that all work? I kind of just assumed it brings it along with it. That's the assumption I've been working under. Like a travel bag? <laughs> <laughs> But then how does it work when you have Oak and Quill and they're just by themselves and, you know, they have the seaweed underneath their clothes and then all of a sudden, it's later on that all of a sudden they pop up and they have foam. Like, how does, I don't know. It's weird. I don't understand it. Foam. (laughs) Yeah. Best not think on that too much. (laughs) One thing I did note was the fact that one of the reasons why Robson is probably so crazy is that he lived out on an oil rig for four years. And never came back to the to the mainland in that time. Yep. And then someone said, you, you should be in management. <laughs> <laughs> You've been here the longest. Four years in isolation, not talking to your fellow person. Perfect. You don't trust anyone that might report to you. Yep. Your leadership material. <laughs> I will certainly be uh, taking inspiration as to how I manage my team at work from now on. Please don't. Paranoid delusions of threats when there are none. Uh-huh. Perfect. I feel like about half of this episode is taken up by, and I think, Don, this is where you have a point, is really taken up by Robson just being a dick. And it, it even spills out further between Van Lutyens and and the chief having a fight over Robson's approach. They're having a fight about the previous fight. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it does lead to what I think is one of the best lines of the entire episode just before the cliffhanger when Van Lutchen says, there's something there in the darkness, in the pipeline, waiting. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, even though I find him to be completely removable as a character, most of Van Lutyen's stuff should have been handled by the Doctor, who isn't really doing a whole lot in these first few episodes. He does have some awesome lines. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that would have been cool if Troughton had said that line, actually. Now you mention it, Don. It would have worked quite well. Was that around that time when, like, the music lined up really well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the end? Yeah, with a thumping. Yes. One of those few times where it's like, all right, music spot on. Not always the case. Yeah. So, episode three. We see there is some weed on the floor in Harris's house. <laughs> Oh my goodness, this is this is never going to get any less funny, is it? To be completely fair, if you've watched the reconstruction and you see the design that are on the walls of his kitchen living room nook, you completely understand that there would in fact be weed on Harris's floor. <laughs> I mean, it's the 60s, man. So the doctor and Jamie trying to pick up the weed into a plastic bag, like they know it's dangerous and that is risky business right there. Well, it's more of Jamie was just going to touch it. And the doctor's like, no, 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 Jamie. This is how we do things. And Jamie's like, I don't understand. But okay, doctor. But the next scene, we get Jamie looking through a microscope. (laughs) 
and he like figures it out. He's uh-huh. like, there's stuff moving. This is weird. And then he's like, oh, yay, I did it. I liked how they went back to the TARDIS. I feel like that hasn't happened in a long time in the serial. Usually we have our trope of being separated from the TARDIS and we can't get back to it. So we have to go through the plot of our serial. But here they went back to it and treated it as a little laboratory. Yeah, and Victoria is put to scientific use, clearly kind of harking back to what her father did. Which is very true. So I have a question about this as well, because I don't know if you guys noticed, but when they figure some things out and they leave the TARDIS, they left some of the weed in the TARDIS. Yep. They're going to get so so high later. Oh, they're going to use it. (laughs) I'm just pointing that out there. I don't know if that means anything or they just casually sweep that under the rug, but that's what happened. And smoking weed is one thing, but smoking sentient weed? Actually, that that scene has a bit that I'm both impressed by and frustrates me, where you clearly get the ending telegraphed when Victoria mm-hmm. screams, yeah, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you have the doctor being extremely undoctor-like and not figuring it out right away. Yeah. I mean, I think if the doctor had figured uh, it out at that point, this could have been a four-parter, and, you know... It really could have been <laughs> for multiple reasons. <laughs> yes. But this episode also has more of Victor Pemberton's favorite padding device. Robson being a dick. Ugh. I'm in charge. I'm in charge here. Your wife's unwell. Does she have a hangover? <laughs> that monologue of when he enters into the control room, I may already made mention of it, but I had to stop rewind it and watch it three times in a row because I found it that funny. I was dying (laughs) laughing because he's just barking. He's not even talking anymore. And I would like to point out anyone that is interested in acting, you know, you have to audition, you have to have a monologue. I would suggest this (laughs) right here. It would be amazing. The only person I could, there's only one actor I could see that could do this and actually do it well. And that would be George C. Scott. That's the only person. I think part of the problem here is Victor Madden, who is the actor, mostly did a lot of comedy work outside of this. He was in a lot of the Carry On movies. He was in things like Steptoe and Son, the Dick Emery show. I mean, he he did a lot of comedy and I almost wonder maybe he didn't really know how to play this straight. If he wasn't in Zed Cars, I don't care. All right. He was he was in one of the spin-offs from Zed Cars. In fact, two of the spin-offs from Zed Cars. Not good enough. <laughs> None of this Y cars or X cars. It's Zed Cars or nothing. Does it help that the actor who played Harris, Roy Spencer, was in Zed Cars and one of the spin-offs? I liked Harris better, so yes it does. <laughs> it's so funny. All of my notes are the same throughout so many of these episodes. Robson just yells. Victoria just screams, and sometimes I like the music and sometimes I don't. (laughs) I think one of my first notes was literally, will someone just kill Robson already? (laughs) What I find amazing uh, with Robson is he has a complete meltdown, which is done extremely over the top, goes off to his room, and he's immediately gassed. This is just not a good day for Robson. I think a lot of this would, to me anyway, have made a lot more sense if Robson had been... Oh, God, I hate to say this. Being controlled by the weed. There you go. (laughs) The entire time. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Because I I never felt like he should be in charge of anything. But how else would I make jokes about the weed calming people down? (laughs) (laughs) 
You mentioned that, and I know it's skipping ahead, but towards the end of the climax of episode six, when they're all having dinner, did anyone else notice how peculiar and suspicious Robson was when he left the room? He has a sliding door that he opens, and then he looks back, and because the storyline ended with nine minutes of time left, I was expecting some sort of horror movie twist, you know, where, oh, Robson's back, and he's actually been the seaweed creature king all along or something i either thought that could happen or i thought that they're gonna do some weird turn of thing where it's like all right victoria's gonna stay with the man <laughs> type of thing like they did with susan if they had shipped victoria with robson <laughs> i would have just stopped i would have had to acquit <laughs> <laughs> finishing up episode three before we quite get there one thing that i think Episode three really starts foreshadowing is Victoria's departure. This is where she really starts mm -hmm. asking why they always end up in trouble. And she's, it just gets more and more persistent across the rest of the story from here. But this is where they really start signposting it. Victoria in this reminded me of an old sitcom from the 80s whose title was Suddenly Susan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have never seen Victoria more afraid or more screamy than in this serial. It's weird. It's all been it's all been downhill for her since the Tomb of the Cybermen. I mean, it pretty much has. I like how she says, why can't we go anywhere pleasant? And I was thinking about that and I said, well, we wouldn't have a show then, would yeah. we, Victoria? <laughs> <laughs> so the ending to this episode... Maggie and Robson gathering on the beach before she calmly walks out into the sea. It's got that wonderful oh. ethereal music with the heartbeat. Oh, that was really good. Love it. So creepy. It is probably my favorite scene of this entire serial. I loved it. I loved the feeling that it gave. It was fantastic. And throw in a little suggestion, if anyone is interested in watching a movie that gives that kind of feel... There's a horror movie called The Beach House. It came out like a year and a half ago, two years ago. Story of a young couple, a middle-aged couple that, as you would expect, stay at a beach house where strange kind of creatures from the sea show up. And there's just this complete feeling of dread and helplessness. And it is a fantastic smart horror movie on Shudder. They did not pay me for this. I was going to say we'll put some links in the uh, episode description for our listeners. This may be just me did anyone else think it would have been much cooler and emphasize the horror factor if harris's wife just never appeared again after that yeah it just seemed to me like the the weed should have just used her as a vessel to get back where it was going and then just not giving a crap about her life that's much more spooky but you know to be fair though let's not kill off one of the very few women that's in the episodes just want to point that out there i agree if you're gonna if you're gonna do that throw some more women in there please thank you i mean it's the 60s you've got to kill your gays and your women <laughs> they do that now though yeah. as well <laughs> if you haven't been watching supernatural then you don't know what i'm talking about thank you for listening to watchers in the fourth dimension this episode <laughs> kill your gays and your women was recorded on <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we also have a lot of wonderful wonderful tension in this episode as we move into episode four you know the heartbeat is fairly prevalent throughout which is something i really really love and then you get that also wonderful scene of harris approaching robson on the beach and for the first time in forever robson is very very calm 
it, it, it's just very indicative that something is very wrong here. This is where this story really clicks for me. It clicks for about 10 minutes and, and then it goes bad again. Some things I did know is there's this wonderful scene where Lichens is, is down and they're trying to do a whole bunch of stuff. And I think Robson is down there and there's these two guys that are just casually chatting with coffee as if like, nothing's <laughs> going wrong. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, that's adorable. Bit of a, of a bizarre creative choice there. Yeah. Makes sense that someone goes on a coffee break, but all right. And then that's when we get the very lovely doctor and Victoria moment. Mm. Yes. Oh, wait, hang on. Did I miss that in my notes? Yeah, it was after the Victoria and Jamie moment. He was in the bed. Oh, no, I see what you mean. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, I'm getting completely sidetracked. <laughs> yes, where she's getting increasingly uncertain about traveling in the TARDIS. She's very clearly terrified. Yes. And so first she's talking with Jamie about it, but Jamie's like, eh. And then she talks to the doctor about it, who is, you know, as usual, much more understanding. Yes, exactly. And that feeds back in in episode six. So let's talk about Van Lutyen's deciding to gear up and go down into the Impeller. What a bonkers decision. At least he finally decided to do something instead of everyone just arguing about it. That's fair. And then immediately gets dragged down by the seaweed and you can hear the screaming all the way up the pipeline, which I thought was really, really effective. Well, like I said, he basically played a doctor surrogate in the earlier episode, so they had to get rid of him so the doctor could do some doctoring. Yeah. It's a weird decision that they put him in as the doctor surrogate, given that Troughton had his holiday during episode two of The Web of Fear, so why did they make that decision? He didn't seem to be not in these episodes. Well, I think you can tell from the fact that it came from another story and honestly could have done with another rewrite. I would have gotten rid of Van Lutten's entirely. I can't even say his name right. Let's face it. <laughs> I would have given Robson a bit more of an arc and not just had him be an annoying shit the entire time. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's all fair. I also, and this will come important later, I would have given Victoria a reason not just to leave the TARDIS, but to stay with Harris and his wife made some sort of connection there rather than, well, how it ended. Yeah, that was very abrupt. I was expecting, really, we're just going to leave her with these two people? Have they even had a conversation together before? Just just them? Nope. No? Okay. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, there are some things that this feels underbaked at times, which is a huge shame. But at least they tried cooking something. Because with Ben and Polly and their exit, it couldn't have been any more, well, bye, than if the Doctor had suddenly <laughs> just changed into Rick Mayall and flipped them off, and that was... <laughs> <laughs> now that I would have watched. So there's one storytelling element that I loved in this, and that was where we would get the occasional bulletins from the other rigs on the TV monitors. Mm. I thought that was really, really effective. I mean, that's a classic horror movie or suspense kind of device. Yeah. It's still effective. And let's not forget, we had a version of that with the Macra Terror. Does everyone remember the broadcast? Yeah. Yep. Cliffhanger. Boop, boop, yeah. boop, boop. Yes. Yes, I remember. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's has been done before by many other things and it still works. I, I'm having a tough time thinking of film or television that has done that and it was done poorly. It's just something that is 
I guess something we can all identify with is watching something interview in our real lives that is reality that we found terrifying or shocking. Everyone can relate to that. Yeah, it's it's tried and tested as a narrative device. So admittedly, it's bound to work, but it, it is effective here. And this is where we have also towards the end of the episode, the other conversation when Jamie finds Victoria, which is what I thought you were talking about earlier, Julie, yeah. where he says, if anything ever happened to you, it was very, very sweet. It was. Yeah. And then it's like, of course, Jamie cares. Victoria, where have you been? And just as they're about to have the serious conversation about her, her unhappiness, doodump, 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 the heartbeat starts. And again, it's that tension and the way that ratchets up that makes me really, really enjoy this story. And I realize I'm, I might be alone in my love of it here, but there are some elements about this that I just can't help but fall in love with. You know what would have been a, a good way to patch together this story, I think, would have been if we alluded, maybe in the previous serial, alluded to Victoria's lack of or, or wanting to get out of the TARDIS, but she was too afraid to say it. And just like, I guess it's the Edgar Allan Poe, Telltale Heart kind of concept. She has this thing buried inside of her that she doesn't want to say. This gas plant has this horrible, deep heartbeat of a terror that's coming up and then you could play off of both of those and it would be nice to see her like deal with that struggle from like the first three episodes and then like, having to come out and then you know and that's good to come forward you know it's a good theme or we could just have robson yelling a lot well the thing is this is victoria's last story but it's not even about her no excellent no. point she acts out of character and leaves at the end i mean i like the fact that they at least seeded her wanting to leave earlier on throughout the serial that's more than they've done in a long time and mm -hmm. I, I think they should be praised for that but at the same time it doesn't quite work but at least they put in some effort and it'll be quite a while before we get a companion departure where the story is about that companion and you have that arc again it's such a strange thing because that is always in my opinion been the most important thing in in genre pieces is the characters. I mean, I know there was an old joke about the YouTube group Red Letter Media did a bit where they would talk about the original Star Wars trilogy and then the prequels. And one of their ways that they would use to show the difference was that they would go out on the street and ask people, describe Han Solo, describe Princess Leia, describe, you know, and people would just keep saying all these characteristics. And then they would ask them the same thing about prequel characters and they couldn't really say anything. And I just don't understand why the show nowadays in New Who has great, well-developed characters, character relationships that change and move. I mean, that's most of the episodes, that's that's half the plot. But now, early on, not so much. It I, It's strange. I think it's because of how the show was run and how contracts worked for these people. Because mm. when they're filming for New Who, there's, you're hired for a certain season or a couple of seasons and so they're able to plot out that arc whereas in this it's much more fluid in which they were like you know what um we're just going to end your contract uh so we're we're done with you basically so i think that has something to do with it where they don't have this you're set for this amount of time so we can plan for this overarching theme. It's very much a, well, we'd never know when you're going to go. So we just have to figure out how to get you out once you're done. It's also a lot more self-contained because you're not really talking about 
The show at this point in time was not as much about the characters. So the characters, especially, unfortunately, the female characters, get reduced to plot elements. We need someone to get scared and be kidnapped. The sad thing is, they knew that Deborah was leaving. She had only signed on for a year and had said, I'm not going to continue with this. So it wasn't like she was randomly fired. So they had the opportunity to set this up a bit better. Well, also, they only renewed their contracts pretty much for, for Fraser Hines and, and Victoria. And this was really to Julie's point. It, I believe it was on a serial by serial basis at this time. If it wasn't one serial, yes. then, then may, maybe it was every two serials. But it, it, they were very, very yeah. short term contract renewal. Wow, that's ridiculous. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you how does a writer? I mean, so what was the writing schedule? You had what, like a month and like, oh, by the way, you don't have this character anymore. Like, okay. <laughs> That's why they had a lot of issues with so many rewrites is oftentimes they would have to sometimes work around people in and out of the story. I mean, we've had that happen on other occasions with Katarina, uh, what happened with her versus it was supposed to be Vicky. So I'm not actually all that surprised. Yeah. And Don, to your point, it was actually Deborah Watling who decided she didn't want to carry on in the show. So that was her choice to leave, which did leave the writers in a little bit of a lurch rather than the production office deciding to not continue her contract. But yeah, I mean, I also think this is why at this time you see particularly Victoria and, and the other female companions, they're, they're very generic. And the idea here is if, you, if, if we get rid of Deborah Watling, someone else can come in and we barely need to do any rewrites. So how do they look at with Jamie? Because he is much more well-developed than any of the other companions at this point. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I don't have a good answer. <laughs> I'm going to be honest there. You know, I think they felt that the likeliness of Fraser Hines leaving was pretty low at the time. Mm -hmm. So episode four at uh, five? Five. Episode five. God, jeez. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the addition of Megan Jones, interesting character, kind of makes you wonder, was she introduced halfway through here? or towards the end here, as the new boss to just have her be compared to Robson, and you're just like, oh, wow, she's a much better boss than Robson would have been. See, you say that, but for me, she was an unnecessary character. Yep. She is someone else to get in the way of resolving the damn conflict. <laughs> yeah. I honestly did not like her being brought in. I was not a fan. I was just like, all right. Because when they first mentioned her, I was like, okay, it's going to be someone who's off screen who might do like a phone call or something. And that's going to be it. And then they were like, oh, yeah, she's here. And I'm like, what? Why are we bringing in someone new in, in episode five? Like, let's get this done. We do have, however, Megan Jones is played by British national treasure Margaret John who you guys have probably seen her in various things. She's been in Game of Thrones. She's been in Little Britain, Gavin and Stacey, The Mighty Boosh, a lot of kind of comedy as well as some more serious sci-fi stuff. She did a lot of genre shows in the 70s and 80s, Doom Watch, Blake 7, that kind of thing. But she was in everything. She passed away a few years ago, but she was an absolute national treasure for Britain. And I loved seeing her crop up here. She will come back in, in the David Tennant era as another character. But for me, even though her character was an unnecessary addition, as, as Don kind of pointed out, I love the fact that it was Margaret John and that she's, she's present here. That's my uh, a hill that I will die on. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just happy that there was, even though there was obstruction, there was less, less yelling. That's true. That's, I did enjoy this much more once Robson was gone. I also really loved how when she went in to see him, she just basically said, pull yourself together, man. <laughs>
you know me i i love a strong woman and and that moment was like yes (laughs) (laughs) one thing i noticed that i felt really bad about and they're having that fight and jamie's still fighting even with the toxic gas which you know go jamie but they really had to go after like the one indian guy who wasn't even in the original so that was an addition for the animation they purposely added it for diversity but then had him be one of the guys who is like taken over yes cool thanks guys i mean you've got to show that the the weed isn't racist no no <laughs> it really isn't i thought that was a weird choice but it is what it is i think that raises a good question on as these animations are being made should they force diversity or should they keep to something that was a bit more realistic for the time reflect what the episodes were when they were aired. Yeah, exactly. That's all. We understand is 1968. We understand the situation we and the lack of diversity on television back then. We understand it. It's fine. You've shown how long people people's arms were in the 60s. That's okay. You don't need to start <laughs> throwing other stuff in there. <laughs> they had the courage to show that. It's a weird thing, especially where it's because they're animating it so closely to what was originally done that it does seem very odd to make these kind of it's a side character so not major but also major decision because it's from a diversity perspective and it's just like a weird thing where it's like in every other instance it's exactly like the original except for this one thing and that just seems like unnecessary i also and i could be wrong on this one could be completely off base i don't remember the guards having those you know cobra style masks those were awesome. I don't think they had them in the original. I think they wanted to cheap out on making faces. I think you're right that Don. It was just an interesting thing that I noticed and kind of wanted to see what you guys thought. This is another episode where I really feel there was probably some phenomenal visual effects work, particularly when you have the Doctor and Jamie in the pipe room and the weed starts expanding, foam goes everywhere, you've got weed tentacles flailing around like something out of Lovecraft and we're reduced to seeing it on a cartoon. I I would love to see how they actually realize that on screen. But see, that's a good question. I feel like as much as we've criticized the animation, I felt that their depiction of the of the tentacle-like weed in the foam was good. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with Doctor Who of this period with other creature effects being not so good. <laughs> so I don't know if it could have been. What I'm saying is that it could have been absolutely silly. It could have been. I think with it still in the black and white era, more than likely it would have been okay. If it had been in the color era, I 100% agree with you mm-hmm. that it probably would have been awful. But black and white has this tendency to make things better from a visual mm-hmm. arts perspective. Whereas color videotape makes everything worse. As I like to say, black and white hides all manner of sins. It allows it allows your mind to paint in the the rest, and of course, your mind will paint in the good parts. I think I might be getting ahead of myself, but it ties into what we were talking about a little bit earlier with like changing some of the characters and what they looked like. I will say that I did appreciate that they gave the helicopter pilot a beard, and it is an epic beard, and it's beautiful and wonderful. <laughs> so speaking of helicopters that's a great segue julie the budget has clearly expanded this season because we've now had two stories with helicopters between this and the enemy of the world well you're spending your money on foam and not on more monsters so come on (laughs) for 
from that other previous episode was at least these pilots um not hungover <laughs> when we're doing this episode. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really cool helicopter chase scene thing that was happening. Kind of wish we could see that a little bit more. And I also did note that when we're hovering over and the doctor's climbing down and then he's like, all right, Jamie, you come. And like, Jamie's like, I don't know that I want to do this. And then he's climbing down. I'm like, doctor, are you looking up Jamie's killed? You're welcome, everybody. Put that in your fan fiction. I also really... Going back to kind of the visual aspect, certainly in the animation, the way the control rig tower was completely covered in foam, I thought that was a really, really cool visual. And again, I would really like to see how they actually realize that on screen. Probably a miniature. You make a miniature, you cover it with, as the Brits would say, fairy liquid, and you'll soapy and <laughs> you're good. I just think it probably looked really cool as well. And then we come to the end of it, and another great visual effect is Robson and co. all being covered in seaweed, emerging from the foam. I bet that looked really cool as well. I, I'm just... Oh, I want to know what that looked like yeah. so badly. So badly. That has such potential. And man, I really had to know if they pulled it off. There's probably an image on the recon. Like I said, I only got through three of those. Yeah. It probably is. It's been a good few years since I've watched the recon on this. I'll have to take another look after this. And the way that Robson at this point whispers, Come in, Doctor. We've been waiting for you. So creepy. It's wonderful. It's so good. These are the, This is the strength of the serial is, is the pure horror mm -hmm. elements is where it really shines. Just eh, could have... Give it a little bit more support on the other things would have really made this thing like hit the really hit the heights. And that brings us on to episode six. I have to discuss to, in the animation <laughs> for episode six. Wonderful cliffhanger. Episode five. Fantastic. Terrifying. You feel the tension as they are creeping up on the doctor and Jamie. Then suddenly we hear Victoria screaming and then the animation <laughs> shows no fear, no worry, no <laughs> excitement. Just Jamie just lops over, just behind, <laughs> just around the corner. <laughs> yes. Just like, oh, what? almost like a person who's on a walk and like, oh, did I hear something over there? What is that? And just like no, no awareness or emotional relation to what is happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are definitely some challenges there. Oh, so one of the other things that I noted, and I don't know why it took me this long to actually note this down, but does this kind of remind people of the Tingler? Are you talking the Vincent Price yes. William, William Castle movie? Oh Fantastic. Where you have to scream in order to like defeat yes. the creature, and that that's what I thought of. Okay, that's pretty awesome, because all of them stepping out of the foam reminded me just a little bit of John Carpenter's The Fog. Okay. Oh, yeah, and the sea, and the sea uh -huh. was the yeah. city. Yeah, very, yeah. And just while we're on the horror movie theme, I mean, I think there are some obvious allusions to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm -hmm. as well as to the day of the triffids i mean they i think victor pemberton was very well versed in his horror and julie i looked it up the tingler came out in 59 mm -hmm. so they may have taken taken that resolution from that movie just throwing that out there because well because i remember anthony mentioned earlier that it was originally supposed to be bagpipes yep <laughs> jamie was meant to play as bagpipes which i would have personally loved but i get why they changed it to victoria screaming although it makes me very sad because that's why she got really boiled down to just the damsel in distress but i think that it 
made sense. If they had thought of the tingler, they would have been like, hey, noise, screaming, that works. There's another, I think it's a, what we'll just learn is it is a common trope because there was a Twilight Zone episode in 1962 called Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, where the aliens are defeated by a harmonica. And also Mars Attacks, Tim Burton <laughs> in the 90s <laughs> also. Yeah. So it seems to be something that we do a lot. And it's it's a good a good device. Also, puberty love and attack the killer tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I know is that now that it's once it was confirmed in the serial that screaming or that type of noise would defeat them. All I know is that if Susan was here, that shit would have been wrapped up and sorted back in episode mm-hmm. two. <laughs> we would have been done. <laughs> You're not wrong. In fact, I would have loved to have seen where she would have just screamed once. They would have heard it and like, oh, they're like, all right, the hell with this. We're we're just leaving. We're not even doing this anymore. And they just walk off. That pretty much puts pay to, oh, no, the entire stock of oxygen was destroyed. They're susceptible to oxygen. We can't do anything. Nope, we've got Victoria. Let's just keep it going. I want to know how they filmed the giant sea creature. And the helicopter weaving through it. Yes. Like Don said, probably miniatures. Look at the recon. We'll find out. It's probably miniatures. You just put a weed thing on a stick. and Exactly. I thought that was really cool. And I loved how the doctor was determined to fly Robson's helicopter, which is definitely a sign of things that we'll see with, with the third doctor and his love of, of flash cars and flying vehicles. I loved that they didn't kill off the other pilot and they had the other pilot help him because it was just like, doctor, you're doing poorly. This is how you fly a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this episode ends fundamentally about 10 minutes before the actual running time ends everything is resolved we use the sound to kill off the this well not to kill off but to subdue the seaweed monsters and rescue everyone and no one dies i would like to point out before we do that that final scene where they're getting there's a siege taking place yeah the final transformed seaweed monster in the animation looks very good it was Truly Lovecraftian, as you've been saying, and also terrifying because just before we saw, you know, half human with a lot of seaweed hanging off of them. Now it's just completely seaweed. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it was nice and creepy looking. And also it was very cool that the way they defend themselves was with giant apple earbuds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Giant AirPods. And Victoria released her inner banshees. It's fine. (laughs) Well, let's talk, speaking of Victoria, let's talk about her departure scene. I know we've already touched on it, but we have that nice dinner, which, as I think Riley pointed out, Robson kind of shiftly departs from, but it turns out to only be to go and yell at his people. Yeah. (laughs) He loves what he does. He loves what he does. I also love how he invites the TARDIS crew just to drop in if they're ever in the area. What? Wasn't expecting that. Okay. I was just so glad that Victoria actually gets a proper farewell here and there's regret from Jamie and the Doctor's sympathetic and it's it's a proper goodbye scene and we haven't had one of those since Stephen? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even Vicky? No, because no one was really around. The Doctor like kind of saw her from... Yeah. 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 But we haven't had a proper one in a really long time and I'm glad that Victoria yeah. gets one. What was strange to me is that the doctor seemed to take it in stride, but my God, Jamie was gutted. It was so sad. Yep. I don't care what you guys say. I'm still shipping those two. 
<laughs> I'm 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 concerned to see what Jamie's going to be looking like. You know, come next serial, will the, will he just be like in bed all day? And the doctor like we have to go do this thing. He's like, no, no, I just want to stay here. You're expecting a lot of continuity out of old Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was really, really nicely done. It was one of the better parts of this whole serial, despite it being a little odd of why she was leaving and that she's just staying with the Harrises. I thought that the actual farewell scene itself was well done. He didn't seem to warn them what they were in for. It sounded like, hey, can she just stay with you guys for a couple days? (laughs) Rather than, we're leaving her here forever. Next thing you know, it's a thruple situation and it's all gone wrong. And She is now your responsibility. That more or less brings us to the end of our discussion. I do want to nominate Oak for the camp count. Heard him speak. I thought he was kind of camp. Uh, I didn't feel any camp from that. I did not no. either. Just pure creepiness. Yeah. Just pure creepy. How about, uh, how about Robson's performance? No, just annoying. I tried to find something this story. Okay. Let us move on to our ratings. So, Riley, you are up first this time around. The thing that strikes me with the serial is the setting and the mood. That is one creepy injury beach and natural gas plant. Absolutely. It is just morbid. We have had creature features before on the show, and the seaweed creatures are quite good, but there is a sense of foreboding, dread, and dreariness. It made us combine with all the shouting that just makes us become very tired and upset that this makes it stand out. This whole serial as a kind of Lovecraftian horror, like Anthony said, the series creatures themselves are absolutely Lovecraftian. They arrive in blobs of foam and they have tentacle like arms. I mean, that's, that's definitely it. So of course I loved it or loved that the doctor, Jamie and Victoria have enjoyable moments, good character moments. As Julie said, the music is hit or miss. Sometimes right on the mark, other times ridiculously, hilariously way off it. I thought the cliffhangers of the serial were really top-notch. Really stood out compared to last couple one, last couple serials. So the serial checks some of my favorite things boxes in Who. And overall, I enjoyed it. Not as it had so much potential to be so much more, but it's some little bit. But I still enjoy myself because I'm just a sucker for good horror. So I will give it... Seven out of ten giant Apple earbuds. (laughs) All right, I am next. Much like Riley, I found a lot to really enjoy here. There's a huge amount of tension throughout the initial episodes. It really feels like it's building to something. It has this very kind of understated horror that eventually spills out, particularly once I already mentioned the scene with Maggie and Robson at the beach as something that I thought was very, very understated, but very, very creepy. And yeah, I I realize over the course of our discussion, we've pointed out some of the flaws here, but I still really, really enjoyed this. It just kept my interest for all six episodes. So despite its, its flaws, this one for me gets seven and a half bags of weed. (laughs) Done. All right, it's going to be me this time, I guess. There's a lot of Uh good stuff in this serial, and what's good is really good. The concept of the creature is really nice. I like that it's defeated using sound waves, which is something that's set up from the beginning with the use by the sonic screwdriver. I like that they actually tried to ride in and exit Victoria. It's not perfect, but at least they tried. 
But the lows of this, I can't say it kept my interest. I mean, one of the things I wrote on my notes was tedium from the deep because it was just (laughs) so many pointless filler arguments. It basically wasted a good premise. And I'm sorry, to me, that destroyed all of that atmosphere that should have been been building. I got a lot more atmosphere from the prior serial because they didn't do all this filler bullshit. I'm sorry. It's frustrating for me because the good stuff is so good. Harris's wife walking into the sea. All of the the weed people, I'm going to call them, approaching the doctor before they leave. Very good, very creepy. But those three, three and a half episodes of arguments, pointless characters showing up in like episode five that contribute nothing. It's, it's a wasted opportunity. But what's good in there is good. So I'm giving it four and a half weed jokes out of ten. Ow. <laughs> All right, Julie, you are last but not least. All right. I think I kind of hit somewhere in between because I agree that there are good things about this. I'm not as into horror as you guys, not even as into the Lovecraftian aspect of you guys, but I see where they were trying to go with it. And in some aspects, they did do pretty well. But again, there was the the issues with the pacing, the filler, the random what's-her-face that got introduced in episode 5 who had no reason to be there. I'm going to give it five and a half flashing kilts out of ten. <laughs> Stick with what you love. Yes. <laughs> All right, that gives us a story average of 6.13, which is not the worst, not the best of the season. So we are just about out of time at this point. We'll be back next time, where we will have a season-ending extravaganza as we tackle the wheel in space. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Schreck, Julie Filipek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, It's Zed Cars or Nothing, was recorded on Tuesday the 24th of November 2020. In the meantime, our previous episodes are all available on your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. You can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or a rating on your favourite podcasting app. All three of those things really do help us out. And always remember, if you buy a phone machine, you absolutely must ensure that you secure a good return on your investment.